Uh, we're going to continue on in this study. I, I, I am just daily burdened and daily overwhelmed with um, just the uh, sense of the end times. And, and I know there have been generations uh, faced that with different things going on in the world and in their nation and stuff. But um, Rochelle and I were sitting on the couch last night and uh, the girls had their uh, youth group uh, gathering or Christmas party or whatever. And uh, we were just sitting there and I was just, we were just talking about the, the heaviness and everything. And I just began to read Matthew 24 and then Matthew 25 and 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And we're just kind of going through the, uh, the reality of what the end time looks like. And uh, I think it's so important that we're going through the church in our church to understand what we should be doing regardless and uh, such an important study we talked about it in the beginning this is not something that we take and say well this is doctrine but we take this and say this is what god did and this is what god is able to do this is what god uh, again gives us the example and the history of the church and they were the first church that we find in acts and that should be something that should be an encouragement also a lesson for us as the last church, uh, what I believe is the last church. And so uh, the first, we, got, we got into last week's message and I realized um, really quick that we were only going to get point one. And so I said, all right, so we're going to do point two this week and then got to studying and praying back through it again. And we got an extra point thrown in there. So uh, you got to go, if, you, if you're on uh, the groups and you have, um, you're a, a member of our sermon PDF group, then there's a new one on there. It's 12B, and that third point will be on there. So if you pull up the notes from last week, you're going to be missing that third point in the notes. So. But the, last, uh, the point we got last week was the church is eternally important and should be treated as such. Again, this is something that we are seeing, and, and we're taking a, uh, it's taken a long time to look at this encounter with this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, but what has happened is they have concocted a lie. They, they came up with a plan that they were going to sell some land, bring part of the money to the apostles' feet, and then pocket the rest or whatever, go on vacation. Well, I don't know what they were going to do with the rest. But they, they came up with this lie. And the reason why it was a lie is because they said that they sold the land and they were bringing the money and laying it at the apostles' feet. What, so many lessons we've learned so far in just the, the, the 12 plus sermons we've done. Um, and one of the things that we've learned is there's, there's some people like Barnabas in this first church that were all inners. And they were selling stuff and they were bringing all of the proceeds to the church. They, they really saw the eternal importance of the church, the, the body of Christ on this temporal earth right now. They, they, they grabbed hold of it. They, they had lives, they had jobs, they had stuff around their house they had to do. They, they were, it was really a culture, it was really temporal lives that they were living on this earth, but in this this moment of time their lives have been radically transformed by the power of jesus christ the holy spirit has renovated their whole lives renewed them made them new creatures in christ and gave them a, a different purpose and gave them a different desire as they were living on this earth and so all of those lives again converging looked like a, a, a body it looked like a family it looked like man there's needs to be cared for there are things to be done we are all in this together. We have a mission to accomplish that Christ left us to accomplish. And again, all of these people were, were, were all in. They were, they, were, they were giving their all for this eternal purpose, this eternal 
kingdom of God that Jesus taught about while he was here. See this couple, though, lying to the Holy Spirit, thinking they were lying to Peter, thinking they were lying to men. But Peter points out, you've not lied to man, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And again, this eternal importance, this eternal seriousness is being seen in this encounter in this first church. So I want to pray right off the bat and find out what this young church does with this situation. So let's pray and we'll get back into it. Father, thank you so much for all that you do again. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for uh, the freedom that we have uh, to come here and gather. Lord, if, if, if 2020 is just a glimpse of how crazy things can get, then I pray that we would take with uh, a spiritual soberness your word and our purpose here on this earth. Now we realize that uh, things can change in an instant, and they have in our world. And we look back to March, and, and it seems like it was uh, what seemed to be a, a few weeks turned into uh, the rest of the year. And then on top of that, there's been so much craziness in our world, and it's not even been a full year. And so I pray that we would understand that we're, we're not supposed to fear we're not supposed to worry. We can handle everything that we face in this life with prayer, with faith, and know that you are in control and that we do have a purpose, regardless of how weird and, and awkward and maybe even difficult and, and distressful our lives can become. So Lord, as, as your people, as a church gathered in this place this morning, we ask that you would, you would fill this place with your, your spirit, your presence. You'd work in our lives, that we would be in tune enough uh, to hear what the Spirit says to us this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would just move in power. As we have already prayed, if there's somebody that doesn't have a real, intimate relationship with you, maybe they're trying to be religious or a good person, maybe they're trying to do what Christians do, but they know they don't have a real relationship with you. I pray today would be a day their life changes, that they would surrender all, and they'd be born again, that they would be 100% confident heaven's their home uh, when they die. Lord, help us to, again, just be in tune with what you have in Jesus' name. Amen. So in, in the encounter, Peter, again, rebukes Ananias for concocting this plan and specifically for lying to the Holy Spirit. And with the rebuke for the lie, look what happens in verse 5. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last, breathed his last breath. And then look at the next statement. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. So again, this wasn't something that was done in private. This was something that was widely known in the church. This was something that was going on. Uh, as we see uh, you can kind of picture in your mind they're, they're in the temple. And uh, if you've ever seen a, a diagram of the temple or maybe you've had a, the, 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 the blessing of visiting uh, the temple mount, like, like I have and many in, in the church have, but uh, you, you, you kind of get the picture as there's, the, there's this outer porch and, and, and then there's the, the, the holy place and there's place, places on the temple mount where the, there would, a sacrifice would be going on. And, and so all, all these people were gathered all over this temple mount and and as, as the church was just loving on each other and, and fellowshipping and 
in the word of God. And, and then they would go out from the temple and they would go to their homes and they would take care of their, their, their garden and their farm. And, and they would go to the market and they would do different things. They'd come back and they were fellowshipping and sharing who they got to invite to the temple that day. And who they got to share the truth about Christ with, the resurrection with. And, and, and you kind of picture all these things. And, and people were realizing among all this interaction that there were great needs. And so people were bringing these these, these offerings, these things that they were selling, and I, we, don't, we don't need all this land, do we? No, we got our, our farm here, we got our garden, and, and our kids have plenty of places to play, and, and we got so much, God has been so good to us. Let's, then there's so, so-and-so, the other, the other day I heard them talking, and they don't even have anything to eat, their, their, their garden is gone, they're, they're, they have no money, they have no way to sell, they, they have nothing. Let, let's, sell, let's sell this land, this extra land we have, and, and we'll just bring it, and, and we can give it to the church, and, and they can make sure that the people that, that have lost their crops and don't have a way to sell, and don't have, they can have money, and they, they can buy what they need to do, and maybe they can buy some new seeds and, and get their garden up and going again. And again, you can imagine this is what was going on, and they were just about the Lord's business and caring for each other and all these things. And in the midst of all this, you see this couple kind of maybe pompously parade in with, Look how big of this, hey, we sold our land, we sold our land. We got a lot of money here, we're going to donate in case anybody needs any money. You go see Peter, we're going to give him this large offering. So he marches in, says, hey, we, we sold land and here's the money for it. Again, he had been concocted this, this plan, Holy Spirit being present, filling the believers there, power, great power and boldness we saw. Peter understands that they had lied. And again, we talked a little bit last week. Maybe, maybe it was because they had told somebody else, hey, we've got a bunch of land. We sold it. We got this much money. And we're going to put this much in the bank. But we're going to take this much to the church and tell them this is what we got. And maybe somebody in the early church, maybe a new believer is like, oh, that, that doesn't sound good. But they didn't ha- ha- know what to say or how to say it. But they went and maybe said something to some of the apostles. Hey, just heads up, some of the people are doing this and it's, it's just awkward. We are, what do we say when they say stuff like that? I don't know. We don't know. Regardless, they, they lied to the Holy Spirit. Peter says, you can't do this. And in that moment that he tells him that you can't do this, Ananias falls down. And then immediately this great fear, this great reverence goes across the whole church there. All those that heard it and saw it, they, they were captivated with a great reverence power and the seriousness of God, his church. Point number two, I like theme music. I do, it's good. It helps me. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm just playing. That really does. Can we turn some music on? (laughs) um, No, the, the point number two is this. A healthy church is a church where reverent fear and purity of life exists. A healthy church is a church where reverent fear and purity of life. I got this from a, a, a commentary. And I thought that, that is the point. That's the truth. I believe there are things that God allows to bring sobriety, to bring seriousness. Godly fear to his people. You can turn to the Old Testament. You can see stories uh, from almost the very beginning all the way up until the very end of, of Scripture. There's so many instances that we see, whether it's through discipline or whether it's through warnings, that God tries to remind his people, get the attention of his people about who he is and who they are in him. 
Again, you go to the Old Testament, go to the New Testament, and time and time again, things are happening. And God is allowing for his, his people to come under this, this godly reverence, this fear, this submission to him. And it's, and it's for our good, right? That, we can see kind of a little a microcosm with, with our kids, right? We, we know what is best for them when they're, when they're growing up, when we're, we're teaching them. They can't see all of that as they're growing up. They're in the midst of it. They're completely subjective. Now, we're subjective because they're our kids, but we're also objective having gone through it and seeing their lives from an outside perspective. So we can tell them, no, you can't do this. No, you can't go there. No, this is not good for you. Yes, this is okay for you. And they may not ever understand that. And there's times that because they cross those lines, we say, no, you're going to be disciplined for this. Maybe there's times that uh, we tell them no so many times, but they continue to do it. And so we say, okay, fine. We'll see what happens next time. But we do that with this, this understanding as a parent that it's within the bounds of our control. We're not going to be like, yeah, uh, the next time you jump off that mountain, you're going to see what happens. <laughs> we don't do that, you know. But we, we have this control. I, I believe that, again, a microcosm of, of how God is with us. He, he knows that, that sometimes it takes, for some of us, a little more attention getting. Sometimes he, he can just... Whisper that still small voice of conviction through the Holy Spirit for some of us. And we can fall flat on our face. God, I'm so sorry. Some of us, it's not like that. It's like that stubborn child that he's got to keep beating, you know. It's like that stubborn child that he's like, okay, I've told you ten times now not to touch that stove. Touch it again and see what happens, you know. <laughs> I'm just joking. They don't let their kids burn themselves, but... Some people do, but that's not good. Um, but I believe that God tries to uh, allow things, and again, through discipline, to, to get our attention, remind us of who he is, remind us of what we're about. And I believe that we've experienced some of those things even as a people, as a nation here in America. Think back to 2001, 9-11. If you were alive during that time, you know what happened to our nation. We were all held captive in a moment and in a season soberness reality what's going on is this the end like all those things came to our mind it, it happened it happened in 2000 right why 2k everything's coming to an end the computers can't tick over for the next you know, like it was, it was the end of the world get your water get your toilet paper 20 years 20 years later <laughs> but you know it, it's 9 11 2008 a crash 2012, 2016, 2020. There's a theme there every four years. But individually, and, and, and sometimes he'll use a health issue. Sometimes he'll allow a family crisis. Maybe it's a job loss or a financial struggle. God allows to get our attention. So we're, we're his people, and in, in his, his mind, we fit into his eternal plan. And sometimes we approach this life like it's only a temporal plan. It's only a temporal life. That's why Colossians says, lift up your eyes. You know, set your, set your mind on things above. Get an eternal perspective on things. Now, it's not to say that when we have those things, a health issue, a family crisis, a job loss, or or financial struggle, that it's God getting our attention. I'm not saying that. 
Sometimes it's just the reality of living in a fallen world that we face difficulties and problems. But I do believe the evidence shows that he can, and he does use those things at times. Times of difficulty, a warning, a, a time that is dangerous, or again, in a loss, a struggle. What, what can we be prone to do? I know for me, I know for many that I've talked to before, when we go through those things, sometimes we start to ask the question, well, is it me? Is there something wrong with me? Is there, am I doing something wrong? Am I, am I messing up? I've heard so many times talking with people that when someone's dealing with something difficult, these words come out of my I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. God got my attention with this. Again, maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's a health. Again, I've heard people say it so many times. I, like, I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But the question that comes to my mind is why do we wait? We all do it. We all do it. But why do we do it? Why do we wait for the tragedy or the desperate circumstance or the difficult situation to come to make us desperate for God? Why, why does it take something, a shaking in our life for us to go, okay, God, uh, I, I, I'll get serious. I, I'll, I'll be faithful to you. I'll, I'll, I'll start reading my Bible again. again I, you know, I'll be de- 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 devoted to you. I'll, I'll stop doing this. I'll stop doing that. Why does it take these things for us to, again, for God to get our attention and for us to become desperate for God? I've said for years, I believe God does allow desperate times to come in our life to make us desperate for him only to show us that that's how he wants us to live all the time, not just in the desperate times. Not just when we need him to heal us. Not when we just need him to heal our loved one. Not when we just need him to give us a job. Not when we just need him to, to fix our relationship or to fix our struggles. Not, not just in those times, but every day when our, when our relationship is good and our kids are good and our job is good and our finances are great and our, our health and our loved ones and our church and everything is wonderful. God wants us to be desperate for him just as if everything was bad. So what's missing? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit missing? Or are we panting after idols? Remember Psalm 42? As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants after you. But what about us? Is that how we live our life in desperation, like a, like a, like a deer in desperate need of water or they're gonna, it's going to die? Do we live our lives on a daily basis in desperation for God? Or are we panting after idols? Yet pridefully denying that we are. No, I'm not, I'm not panting after idols. But are we? And then when those idols can't fix our problems... It's then that we turn to desperate, desperation in God. When, 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 when our hobbies can't fix our problem, when, when, when our lifestyle can't fix our problem, when, when the things that we love to do and enjoy, and, and when the money can't fix the problem, when all those things can't fix the problem that we're, we're panting after, it's then that we say, God, help us. God, heal them. God, fix this. Again, this example of this couple caught all of the attention for everybody that was hearing it and everybody witnessing in that day. You know, four times in Revelation chapter 2, 
Three times in Revelation chapter 3, there's a charge that's given to the churches that were written to. And the charge was this. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. The first issue and hurdle that we've got to get across in order to listen to that command is we've got to make sure that we actually have ears to hear, spiritual ears. You've got to be born again. If you're not born again, if you're not saved, if you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you've not been made new, you don't have spiritual ears, there's no way that you can hear what the Spirit is trying to say to His people, even right now. So you've got to be born again, you've got to have spiritual ears. And then, if you do have spiritual ears, we've got to make sure that our spiritual ears aren't distracted, that something else isn't pulling our ear, that they're not clogged, again, with, with other things filling us up, or oblivious. Maybe a spiritual slumber. You know, fear is, is, a, is a good thing. It also can be a bad thing. Godly fear is the good thing. It's a healthy thing. Not that you walk around fearing that if you, if you, if you speak one lie or if that you, you, you think one wrong thought or you say one wrong thing, that, that God is just this angry God looking for you to, to mess up so that he can make something miserable in your life. That's not, that's not it. God is a, a gracious God full of mercy and full of grace he is a just God and he's full of justice and he exercised justice for every single one of our despicable sins on Jesus Christ his son on the cross he poured out the very wrath that's reserved for the ungodly on his son in our place that's amazing grace and amazing mercy and we can be saved, removed from all of the, 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 the guilt and shame and, and, and removed from all of the penalty of our sins because of Jesus Christ's death in our place. And when we enter into this relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross in our place and the resurrection to life that Jesus alone accomplished, then we have the Holy Spirit in our life. And when we have the Holy Spirit in our life, then we are the sons and the daughters of God. And as the sons and the daughters of God... He delights in our lives. He's not looking to just beat us down and to tear us up and destroy our lives. He wants to bless us like we like to bless our kids, but even more so as a God, as God. So God delights in his children. And as a loving father, he does discipline, as we talked about a while ago. He does correct because he knows what's best for us. He does allow things to sometimes get our attention so that we will live in a healthy, godly fear, respecting him, respecting his, his power, his holiness, his program, having, having respect and reverence for what he wants. Jesus demonstrated that even when he was in his most desperate time. You know the story. He's there in the garden. He's praying, God, if you'll allow this cup to pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Showing us what it looks like to have reverence. And fear for Almighty God. Godly fear is a healthy thing, but fleshly fear is a very unhealthy thing. I looked up this week, and with a lot of the fear that's going on in our world today, especially around crazy things, um, you know, they they did a study. Uh, an article was written on the study, and the term anthropophobia, anthropophobia, that's the fear of man, fear of other people. 
made up 22% of all fears searched online in 2020 as of October. 22. People afraid of being around other people. People afraid of touching other people. People afraid of being infected by other people. People afraid. This, this fear is driving so much of our world. And it's not just fear of other people. It's also fear even what's going on in, in election. And, and so much stuff is, is going on in our world today. Do you know how much more people searched about this fear of man compared to last year? Five times more. Five times more, percentage-wise. People searched about being afraid of other people. We know the main reason is Rona. But there's other reasons that people have become afraid of other people. Jesus tells us in his word not to fear him who can kill the body, but to fear him who has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear him. So we can be wise and we can be sober and we can be vigilant in this world. We can be aware of what dangers that we face. We can, we can approach life like that, but not be fearful. And I want to charge you this morning, church. Let's make sure that just like the first church, was stirred with godly, healthy fear, and was alive in a vibrant church, that we should be just like them. Point number three this morning is godly fear enables us to be spiritually in tune. See, what happened was, is they, they, fear captivated them, and God got their attention. God got their attention in that moment. This is serious. They, they, they had this, this, this dread of the holiness and the power of God, but it was, it was healthy. And they were in tune. This example with this lying couple, we kept that godly fear alive. And I just want to encourage us, let's be quick to godly fear and devotion to Christ before it's us that's used as an example for others. You know, can you imagine Ananias and Sapphire, their family? Their lives were used as an example for this whole church. I don't want that. I don't, I don't think anybody in here wants that. And I don't want my life to be used as an example, like a negative example, for the whole church. That's, that's what their heritage is, because they, they didn't have that fear. But the church was captivated with this godly fear. Acts chapter 5, verse 6, it goes on, look what happens. The young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Again, all the people that were present in that first church learned a great lesson that day. They learned that God is to be respected and reverenced above all. God's not to be patronized, especially not lied to. And his church that he dwells in must be regarded. Why? Because it's his church, his blood-bought church. It's his spiritual building. It's his family. And God taught that first church that lesson quick. Hey, no, no, no. Don't mess with my people. Don't lie to me. Don't, this, don't, don't approach the church like it's some other group like we talked about last week. Don't approach it like it's just something that you're a part of or you can be a part of. No, I died in your place and I rose again. And when you surrendered your life to me, I placed you in my family. It's mine, he says. 
can't emphasize this enough, that healthy fear, godly fear, reverence and regard, submission and surrender, and every part is necessary for this healthy church, just as it was in that first church. Psalm 36, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart because there's no fear of God before his eyes. In 61, Psalm 61, for you, O God, have heard my vows. You've given me the heritage, heritage of those who fear your name. Chapter 67, God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. In 76, in verse 11, make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. This first church through threats, through adversity, through difficult times, even difficult times within with this couple right here. They were unified. Godly fear was alive. Spiritual power in the Spirit's presence was evident. And, and that's a point that I want to make. I think I put it in your notes. That there is a power and a presence in every single believer, that, that, again, that's in this church. But that power and that presence is revealed in the unity of the body. That's how we see the power that God has placed inside of each one of his children is in the, in the unity of the body. Every time in Scripture, that's what's seen. Yeah, but Peter was the one that pointed out. Peter was, was the leader of the church. It was in the context of the church. Every time. Another important point is, is this. When there is unity and when there is godly fear in the body of Christ, the family of God, when those things, those things exist, unity and godly fear, then there's a love of God that becomes clearly evident and it's demonstrated to the lost world. When we have this fear, this reverence, this respect, this submission to God Almighty as Lord over his church, and we approach his church like that, and we are all like that, we are all unified like that, then what ends up happening is exactly what was going on in this, in this first church. There's a real love that is existing within that church, this body. And the world sees that, and the world marvels at it. Jesus prayed for it. Jesus, Jesus very clearly prayed for it in John chapter 17 when he was praying to the Father, basically the last prayer before he got to the cross and cried out to the Father. But this is what he says, or to the garden, I'm sorry. This is what he says, I and them and you and me, this is Jesus praying to the Father, that they may become perfectly one, talking about his followers, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So that the world may know. What? How? Through their unity, that they're perfectly one. John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are, all, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So again, there is this unity and there is this love that is demonstrated to the, to, to the lost world that, that makes them realize there's something absolutely unique about that group of people. That, that church has something that no one else has on this earth. That, that is what Jesus prayed for. That's his will. That's what God desires of his church. And so you and I have to ask ourselves, if that's not what's happening inside of this church, then what's missing? Is that so I'll go? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it true godly fear? What's missing? That if, if in Trinity Baptist Temple there doesn't exist a unity and a love 
that the world marvels at and wants to know that about Jesus, who the Father sent, that, that, that fills and, and, and leads local churches like this. If it's not existing, then what's the problem? If we as individuals and we as families don't fear the Lord, and we don't treat his church like the, the church of the living God, like the, the, the way that the first church did. Again, not like Ananias and Sapphira, but like the first church. Please listen. Not only will we miss the blessings and the fruit that they enjoyed, but we're going to miss the effectiveness in the world that God gave to them then that we could have right now. And we, as the last church, will fail the mission. We'll fail the kingdom of God. We'll fail the king miserably. And I believe, as I said in the beginning, we'll give an account before him. I believe soon. I believe he's coming soon. The question I have this morning is, what is your mindset? And your approach to this church. Is this just a group of people, a gathering that you attend every now and then? Do you do it just because you're supposed to? Do you approach it like you'll be here unless there's something more appealing, something more important to you? Do you approach it like a social group? Like a group of people that you have things in common with and that you, you kind of like some of the people there. And as the last church, if you're a part of it, let's make sure that we're understanding the internal importance of the church and treat it like that. Let's make sure that we are a healthy church that, that fears God, that really believes He is God. That he is all powerful and worthy to, to worship and worthy to serve and worthy to live for together. Let's live in unity like this so that we can have the power, so that we can have the presence that's evident to the world. And the world sees it and marvels at the unity and the love and the power and the presence of God in this local body says there's nothing like that in the world. I said last week that I've been a part of a lot of different groups in my life, and there have been some groups that I've been closer to than others. But none of the groups was a church. And we should not be closer to any other group in this world than we are to the family that God has placed us in. And if we are, that's our fault. God provides the spirit. He provides the power. He provides the direction. He provides all those things. It's, it's, it's us that either gives to our flesh or gives to the spirit. It's us. We've got to remember we're just passing through this world. We're just passing through. And in his grace, he's given us a great privilege 
in this short time that we have on this earth that we're just passing through. He's given us the privilege in his grace to be his ambassadors, to be his representatives, to be his truth bearers, his gospel sharers. He's given us this amazing privilege. And I want to challenge us this morning. Let's not miss that purpose, church. Let's not miss it. Because we're so busy or so wrapped up or so focused. Or, or maybe it is, we'll just be honest this morning, that we're panting after idols and not after God. Let's not miss the blessing of living a Christocentric life, meaning Christ at the center. His church, his call, his command at the center of all of our lives, our families, our jobs. Let's not miss it by living an egocentric life where we're at the center. We make the shots. It seems that, again, as I'm closing this, this example of Ananias and Sapphira, it was the exception. Everybody else seemed to be kind of on board with what God was doing and, and the power and the unity and, and, and the kingdom purpose. Everybody else seemed to be this couple seemed to be the exception in that first church. The rest of the church being unified, the rest of the church living in godly fear, the things of God first, the church, the, 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 the vessel of God on this earth. The rest of the church seemed to take the church eternally serious. And my heart is heavy to think that the last church Maybe has the tables turned. Maybe today there are more people that approach the church, Christ, his plan. More like Ananias and Sapphira. I'm not saying that you're lying to me or to the church. But maybe you approach them in that you approach the church like it only serves the purpose that you want it to serve. That you can approach it with carelessness, even disrespect. Like it's just another organization on this earth. And then maybe there's just a few in this church that approach it with eternal importance, with godly fear and respect. Who are unified and devoted to the mission of Christ over all other things. Which group do you fall in? I want to be in the group that was the majority then and that might be the minority right now. Which one do you want to be in? Let's repent, recommit, sacrifice, do whatever's necessary now before we have a shaking happen like happened to Ananias and Sapphire. Let's, let's make the decision now. Let's not go through the motions. Let's not play games. Let's not just keep on with the status quo, but let's be the church. So that as Ephesians chapter 3 verse 21 says that, that God can be glorified through the church forever and ever. Amen. Let's be that church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here. God, it's a, a sobering and serious message, but God, I feel like the, the times we're living in demand that, Lord. It's as, as if we can almost see the sky breaking open. It's as, as if we can almost see your return. 
Lord, we're your people and we want to be found just as you said that there's a faithful servant who's looking for his Lord return and will be found so doing. Lord, help us to be that servant. Help us not to be so wrapped up in this world, so wrapped up in our own lives that we, we have that mindset of the wicked servant who says, my Lord delays his coming and we just do our own thing. Lord, help us to respond to your word and to this moment in a way that honors you. Lord, again, if there's somebody here that doesn't have a, a real relationship with you, they're not positive that heaven's going to be their eternal home, I pray that you just move them this morning. That they would come forward, that they would grab somebody after the service, and or again right now, and say, I, I want to go to heaven. Lord, just move now in Jesus' name. Amen.